begin our sermon with a question. Are you struggling in the Christian life? Are you struggling at this point in the Christian life? Are you a believer who is uh, spiritually exhausted? Are you someone who is spiritually depleted? Are you someone who is spiritually demotivated? Could it actually be said of you that you are perhaps giving up? Are we giving up on the people of God, the people of here? Are you giving up even on the means of grace? Are you seeing your attendance even at the, the means of grace diminishing? Are you perhaps, even in your heart of hearts, are you giving up on the Lord Jesus Christ himself? Are you a Christian who's struggling in the Christian life? Well, friends, I pray that this morning, through his words, that what happens is that God encourages you. And I pray that today that he encourages you into a new chapter of Christian joy and Christian enthusiasm. Now, one of our elders, Gabriel Amaram, has just recently started a new job. Now, we know what that's like as well. You know what one of the sort of main objectives in a new job is? And the main objective is to impress your boss, isn't it? In the first couple of weeks, you do not want your boss to think that you are incompetent or a bit of a numpty, do you? Well, really that, I'm sure you see, is what is happening here in Acts chapter 25 and Acts chapter 26, isn't it? Like this man, Porcius Festus, has begun a new job as Roman governor, and you see that he is keen to impress, isn't he? But he's got a problem, because what Festus has done is put the Apostle Paul on trial. And Paul's appeal to Caesar, and procedure demanded that Festus explain why. Why had Paul appealed to Nero? And the thing that Festus knew was, well, wait a minute, Paul is innocent. I've got nothing to say here. I don't know what I'm going to write to Nero. Do you see the problem? Festus is scared that he is going to come across as entirely incompetent. So what does he do? Well, what he does here is he takes advantage of a state visit. So you've got the Jewish king, a man called King Agrippa. He comes to visit Festus. He comes to sort of pay his respects to the new Roman governor. And since Agrippa stays for quite a while, what Festus does, what he thinks is, wait a minute, I'll pick this guy's brain. And the more that Agrippa hears about the circumstance with Paul, the more he is intrigued, the more he is interested, thus paving the way for Paul's appearance before this king. Now, friends, if you are a regular at our services at London City Presbyterian Church, you're seeing a lot of repetition, are you not? There's a lot of repetition. Like the last part of Acts, these chapters, these last four or five chapters, there's a lot of trial scenes, are there not? Aren't there? Like you've had Paul before Roman commander, then you've had Paul before Felix, then you've had Paul before Festus, now you've got Paul before Agrippa. Okay, a lot, trial scene after trial scene after trial scene. Now what I want you to do is to put yourself in Paul's shoes. Can you imagine what that would have been like? Can you imagine? Like trial scene after trial, like constantly being wheeled out and, and, and told to give an account of yourself time and time and time again. What would you expect here when Paul is before Agrippa? What would you expect to see? 
You would expect to see him weary, wouldn't you? You know, cheesed off with this. Not another, not another time that I've got to give an account, wouldn't you? And do you know what? We find the exact opposite to that. See, in this last questioning we've got here, Paul is at his most enthused. Paul is at his most energetic. Here, when we would expect him to be utterly demotivated, utterly weary, Paul gives his most detailed and his most impassioned defense of Christianity. So I repeat to you my question. What was it? Are you struggling in the Christian life? Are you demotivated in the Christian life? Let's see here what it was that that kept Paul enthused and enthused for Jesus. Okay, three things. Three things to notice here. Consider, firstly, that we should be motivated by what we know about Jesus. We should be motivated by what we know about the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay. Now, one of the main roles of a, a marriage counsellor, one of the main roles of a, a conflict negotiator, is to get really to the heart of the problem, isn't it? Like, the role is to really establish, wait a minute, there's a problem here, what is the problem? You know, to, to establish the cause of division. Now, that's what's happening here as, 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 as Paul appears before Festus and, and Agrippa. You see, Agrippa can look at this situation and he can see, right, there is a conflict. There is a problem here. He can see that there's a conflict between Judaism and Christianity. Like, he looks at the situation and he sees, these Jews, they absolutely hate the apostle Paul. And he wants to know, wait a minute, what is causing this problem? Now, Paul, being Paul here, He wastes no time in cutting to the chase. So what he does is he begins his defense before Agrippa and he gets right to the root of the problem, okay? In verse 6, effectively, he shows Agrippa that the problem is about who is being faithful to God's word. Like, was it the Jews or was it Paul and the Christians who are in continuity with God's plan as revealed in the Old Testament? So, friends... Let's deal with that. I mean, what would, what would Jews have believed about God's plan in Scripture? Like we, we get a lot of visitors. <laughs> we get a lot of visitors in our congregation. I was going to say we get visitors to our church every week. Probably more than that. You know, we probably get visitors every service to our church, which is wonderful. But let's say this morning we got a visit from a first century Jewish rabbi. Okay, like, I I know that's maybe pushing it a wee bit. It's unlikely. But let's say we got a visit from a first century Jewish rabbi. What would he believe? What would he understand God's plan in Scripture to be? What would he believe? Well, surely he would believe that God had chosen for himself a people, an ethnic people, and that God's plan was to bless that people in the future. Now, you got that, but this is the crucial bit. Our rabbi, he would believe that resurrection language in the Old Testament, that it spoke about that future blessing of Israel. Do you follow me? Do you see what I mean? You know, when God in the Old Testament says, I'm going to bring my people out of the graves. Our rabbi, he's going to think sort of metaphorically, 
or literally, this speaks of a future blessing. You know, this speaks of the future renewal of Israel, okay? And you see that Paul here in front of Agrippa is saying, no, he ain't got it. Paul's saying that what, what the Jews should have understood is that the resurrection language in the Old Testament It not just pointing to a future blessing. That resurrection language in the Old Testament was talking of the means by which that blessing would come. Do you see it? Resurrection language, not just pointing forward. Resurrection language in the Old Testament was talking about the mechanism that God was going to use to bring blessing. Paul's saying that really the Jews should have been anticipating one individual through whose resurrection God was going to pour out his blessing. Now, wait a minute. Do you see Do you see the difference then between the Jews' understanding of God's plan and, and Paul's understanding? Ah, but wait, it gets worse, doesn't it? Because Paul here is not saying, you should have been anticipating one individual who was to come, is he? What is he saying? He is saying that individual has already come. Paul saying that this Jesus of Nazareth, that he is the Son of God, that he has come to earth, that he has lived, he has died, and what has he done? He's risen. And Paul is saying, the truth, you've, you've missed it. You've missed it. You are getting God's plan wrong. Now, 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 wait, what are we talking about here? What's our theme this morning? It is motivation, isn't it? Well, do you see how that would have motivated Paul to come out and speak to Festus and to come out again and speak to Agrippa, he realizes that God has shown him something awesome, something special, doesn't he? He realizes that he can see Jesus for who he is. That God has shown him the one through whom salvation comes. He realizes that this man, Jesus of Nazareth, man born to unspectacular parents, unspectacular village just a few years ago, Paul realizes that he is the place, he is the personification of biblical hope. So of course he comes out and speaks to Agrippa. Of course he's full of enthusiasm. He sees, he sees salvation. So friends, let me speak to you here. The Christian who really relates to this idea of weariness. Do you relate to that? Are you demotivated? Friends, Isn't it incredible what you know? I mean, isn't it absolutely incredible what God has shown you? I mean, there are millions, billions of people out there who are what these Jews were doing, who are seeking God, seeking meaning, and they are in darkness. I mean, they are entirely lost. And what do you know? What has God shown you? You know the very one through whom salvation comes. God has shown you Jesus. He has shown you Christ. You know, you know where salvation is. You know that that man in Bethlehem, the one born there, is Savior, that he is Messiah. You know that it is through his resurrection that God is bringing blessing. More than that, you know who he is, but you know what he's like, don't you? Don't you? Even if you are in a a terribly bad spiritual place this morning as a Christian, you know that Jesus loves you, don't you? And you know his forgiveness in your heart hearts, don't you? 
You know that he's merciful. You know that he's kind. You know that he is gracious. You know that he is beautiful. Friends, Paul comes out time and time and time again here. And we wonder, we wonder, why, Paul? How can you do this? And now we realize why. It's because of Jesus. Friend, are you demotivated spiritually? You look to your Savior because it is Christ Jesus and only Christ Jesus that can spur you on in the Christian life. So we should be motivated by what we know about Christ Jesus. There's a second thing that I want us to notice here in these verses. We should be motivated by what we have been called to do by Jesus. We should be motivated by what we've been called to do by Jesus. Now let's say the Kirk session of the church here. Let's say that we were to invite you uh, as a Christian here to give your testimony at one of our meetings. Okay? Now, you would, in essence, know what the Kirk Session are asking you to do if we say we want you to give. Now, what's a testimony? A testimony is a sort of very personal account of the work that Christ, the work that God has done in your heart and in your life. That's a testimony. We all know as Christians what a testimony is. Now, you see through that reading that that's what in front of Agrippa. Don't you see that? Like what he's doing in this sort of, you know, a flamboyant, the pomp and circumstance of this royal court, if you like. You see that Paul's not standing before Agrippa and just giving a lecture, don't you? I mean, you see, it's not just some sort of theological treatise that, that Paul's... You see that this is, this is a very autobiographical defense of Christianity here. Don't you see that? Now, because of that, and because it was Paul, inevitably... Sooner or later, Paul was going to have to get to what happened to him on the Damascus Road. Wasn't he? Sooner or later, if it's a testimony, not a biographical, he's going to have to talk about the Damascus Road. Now, what do we know? If you've been here for this series, what do we know about the Damascus Road? Well, we know that Paul recounts the Damascus Road on a number of occasions in the book of Acts. Now, what we've got to realize is that every time Paul speaks about the Damascus Road, he emphasizes a different point. Like he's bringing out something different every time he talks about the Damascus Road. So the question you and I have got to work out just now is that here in front of Agrippa and Festus, what element of the Damascus Road is Paul underlining or highlighting with a highlighter? What element is it? Well, if you look at it, we see that though he, of course he mentions the light, and he mentions the, the, the booming voice of Jesus, what we notice here is that actually it isn't his salvation. It isn't Paul's salvation on the Damascus Road that he is focusing on in front of Agrippa. It's actually the other side to it. It's the calling. It is the commissioning that Paul received that he focuses. So do this with me. I ask you to do this. If you look at verse 16... Now, remember what I'm saying. Paul's not looking at the, his salvation so much as he's looking at his commissioning. Look at verse 16. So Jesus says to Paul, what does Paul recount? Jesus says, I have appeared to you. Why? To appoint you. 
So is this commissioning. Then keep, keep your finger on verse 16. Do that. Keep your finger on verse 16. Look at verse 17. Again, he's saying, Jesus said to me, I am sending you. Do you see it? So the, the real emphasis here is not on the fact that I was saved or converted on the Damascus Road. Paul said here, I was called into action. I was commissioned. Now keep your finger on verse 16. Now, one of my uh, close friends a number of years ago, she landed herself a new job, really interesting job. I was very jealous at the time because her job was a maker of musical instruments. So she was, she was making violins and cellos by hand, essentially. Now, I, I met up with her a couple of weeks after she started her job. We had a cup of coffee. And she said, what she told me was that the guy who owned the company didn't really need her. Didn't need her. He can manage fine by himself. But that he had employed her. Why? Because he thought this was a really important skill. You know, making violins and cellos by hand. And he thought the skill was dying out. It was really precious. So he wanted to train someone up. Here's the point. The guy didn't need her. But he wanted to involve her. And you see that that's what we're talking with here. I mean, let me ask you, what was the role that Paul was called into on the Damascus Road? You've got your finger in verse 16. What role was he given by Jesus? Look at it. I appoint you to be a servant. Now, here's the memory test if you've been here for this series. You ready? Do you remember that Paul and Barnabas went off together on a missionary journey? We remember that. Here's the question, though. Do you remember who they took with them? Remember, he caused loads and loads of problems. It was, it was Mark. Now, do you remember why they took Mark, this younger guy? They took him to help. They took him as their assistant. Now, get this. The word used to describe Mark there is the very same word that Jesus uses to describe Paul and his calling here. Wait a minute, do you see what that means? It means that on the Damascus Road, Jesus called Paul to be his assistant. Jesus called Paul to be his assistant. Now wait a minute, do you see in front of Agrippa how this would have motivated Paul? He could see not only was Jesus Christ one who could save but he could see incredibly that he, Paul, this, this man, this sinner, Jesus was wanting him involved in this work of salvation. He was called to assist. So yeah, he was called out time and time and time again. And yes, he had to appear before Agrippa. But come on, he was working with the Lord of glory himself. Friends, hear this, hear the diagnosis. Our problem when it comes to our spiritual lack of motivation, very often it is too low a view of what we've been called to by Jesus Christ. Like I know, I know that on the Damascus Road, this calling that Paul received was unique in many, many ways. But don't you see the language here? It applies to you. And we don't, we don't, we don't see that. Like isn't it true that as Christians, we see what God has called to us. We're just involved in a menial task. Like, what, what do we think practically is the role of a Christian in this world? 
You think, well, we just live the same as everyone else. But perhaps on occasion, we just provide a higher moral alternative. And I say to you this morning, that is absolute nonsense. That is absolute nonsense. Don't you see that what you have been called to as a Christian is so much greater than that? Don't you see that in Christ, you have the, ready for it, you have the greatest position that any human being can have. You have the most exalted job title imaginable. Because what are you? You are an assistant to the king of kings. The one who has created the world. You are his assistant this morning. That Though he does not need it, that the Lord Christ has called you to give him help. Isn't that Isn't that amazing? Isn't it absolutely incredible? Isn't it motivating? We today in here are God's servants. We are called to help the Son of God himself. So we are to be motivated by what we know about Jesus. He is the Saviour. We are to be motivated by what Jesus has called us to do. We are assistants to the Lord of glory. I want to end with a third thing. We should be motivated by what is possible through Jesus. We should be motivated by what is possible through Jesus. Okay. If you're following the chapter through with me, then you see very clearly that what Paul is doing before Agrippa is given a very detailed, but also a very personal defense of the gospel and his role and his work for Christ Jesus. But what we find at the end of this chapter is really, um, surely is the most fascinating interaction, isn't it? Between, who have you got? Between Paul and the king. Really interesting, fascinating interaction. Because Paul makes this in a sermon, doesn't he? I mean, he makes it more than that. He makes it into an evangelistic sermon. Like he calls for King Agrippa to believe. And Agrippa is having none of it. Is he? Do you see what he says to Paul's challenge of the gospel? He says, are you kidding me? Do you really think, Paul, that just now, just like that... You really think that you could convince me and persuade me to follow Christ? Do you really think, Paul, just like that, that I will be saved? But as we close, I just want you to think about Paul's answer. Because effectively, what does Paul say? But, yes. Do you really think that you can persuade me to follow Christ here and now? Look what he says about his hope. I pray that not only you, but all who are listening, I pray that you will become what I am. That you will become Christians. Now, do you see what it is that motivates Paul? He believes in the power of Jesus Christ. Doesn't he? He believes in the power of of his saviour. He believes not only that Christ is saviour, 
He believes not only that he has to be involved in this, he believes that if he faithfully holds out the gospel, what will Jesus do? Jesus will save people. There and then he believes it. And what does he believe? Look at verse 18. He believes that if he holds out the gospel to Agrippa, that Jesus Christ might do what? That he might open his eyes. That Jesus Christ might turn Agrippa from Satan to God. He believes that, that Jesus Christ might indeed move Agrippa from, from darkness to light. He might forgive him. He might move him into the people of God. He believes in the power of Jesus and that motivates him time and time and time again. Friends, with this, we get to the crux of the matter this morning. Please hear this. Isn't it fundamentally our unbelief that is the problem that we're dealing with today? Isn't it fundamentally our lack of faith in Christ and our lack of faith in what Christ can do that causes our weariness, that causes our spiritual lack of, of motivation? Isn't it that? Isn't it a lack of faith? A lack of faith in Christ. I mean, if we really believed and what Christ can do if we really, truly believe that, yes, if we held out the gospel, that Jesus could save people. Wouldn't that, wouldn't that apathy just dissipate? And wouldn't it be turned into some sort of expectancy? And even a day, Christ could save and save people. Shouldn't that be our motivation? Christ can use us. He can use people like you, like me, flawed broken, hopeless Christians in some sense. He can use us. But friends, surely it would be absolute folly for me to end this sermon on an evangelistic sermon and not speak to you, the unbelieving here this morning. So what I ask all of you just now, all of you, is whether you noticed Paul's use of light in this portion of scripture. Did you see what he says here? He says, verse 12, that Jesus is the light that he saw on the Damascus road. He says that. Then he says in verse 23 that Paul himself has been called to provide the light of the Gentiles. In verse 18, he says, Jesus Christ has the power to turn people from darkness to light. So I end with this, friends. Regardless of where you are spiritually this morning, do you see here that the remedy to a lack of motivation and a remedy to darkness is very simple. Do you see that the cure is Christ? The cure is Christ. The cure for a lack of spiritual motivation is to look increasingly to Jesus and to see his beauty, the beauty that is there in Jesus. And to see his mercy and to gaze upon his grace and to see that a scripture says that, that he is, that Jesus Christ our Lord, he is altogether lovely. That he is ready this morning to save us and he's ready this morning to use us. Isn't that glorious? And that he is ready this morning to, to love us, to bring us and his family to love us forever. Do you see the cure? The cure is to look increasingly to the light 
of the world. And so this morning, I pray, I pray for your encouragement. But more than that, I pray that we all here might look increasingly to Christ. Let's pray.